Welcome to episode 100. It's amazing how far Estebanation has gone in a short period of time. May the episodes be more blessed in information and drama. When I was in Mexico City, I thought of all the famous musicians that go there and how it's just a popular spot for music and for culture. But I also know that over 150 years ago, an American army marched upon Mexico in the Mexican and American War of, in, of the the Mexican American War. And among those people were Ulysses S. Grant and Robert E. Lee. I thought to to this land Lee marched on this land as well. Now, this episode will be about Robert E. Lee. I'll take a little bit more different. It will be a more different approach than the Ted Bundy episode, because I'm telling the story uh, in a in a, the perspective of military history and the perspective of this man who lived. Some say he is controversial, and that the statues of him should be taken down. They've a lot of statues of Robert E. Lee have been taken down, but. Whether you believe they should or not, listen to this episode and see what it will give you a little more insight as to inform your information as to why. I understand that in the Confederacy, when the Confederacy was created, when that war was made, it was made because of slavery. Because when Lincoln got elected, he, the politicians of the South, which ranged from Texas to South Carolina and Virginia. They all believed that when this man, Lincoln, gets elected, he will, he will ban slavery. Lincoln was a Republican, and the South were Democrats in favor of slavery. And Robert E. Lee was at the center of all this conflict, and I will tell you why. Starting with his descent, number one is his is his descent. Where does he come from? There's a big irony to Robert E. Lee's ancestors because one of them personally knew George Washington and was close to General Washington. But far back from that, he, the Lees came from England, and this is from. My get my, I get my information from the biography of Robert E. Lee by Hitz Fitzhugh Lee, which was a, he was a, not a stepson, but a, a, well, Robert E. Lee was the uncle of Fitzhugh Lee. And he wrote about him. So, to here I read from this book, to this section, from England, came to the Lees who belonged to one of the oldest families in the mother country, its members from a very early date being distinguished for eminent services to sovereign and country. By the side of William the Conqueror at the Battle of Hastings in the year 1066, Lancelot Lee fought, and later a descendant, Lionel Lee, followed by Richard Courier de Lyon, taking part in the Third Crusade in Palestine in 1192, at the head of a company 
of gentlemen cavaliers displaying great bravery and at the siege of Acre. The Lees of Virginia, which has perhaps given more statesmen and warriors to their new home than any of our old colonial progenitors, came of an ancient land and distinguished stock in England, and neither country can boast a nobler scion than the subject of these memoirs. So General Lee never had the inclination to study genealogy. So Fitzhugh Lee was the one who studied all this for, for him to discover where the Lees had come from. But it is the belief of the father of Robert E. Lee, which is Henry Lee, that they originally came from Shropshire, England. But it looks like the, those people go way back, way back in history. It's pretty amazing. And then General Washington writes, in 1771, I know of no country that can produce a family all distinguished and cleverest men as our Lees. And after Washington's death, you want to know who gave the who gave the the eulogy speech at Washington's funeral? Henry Lee, the father of Robert E. Lee. So it is no surprise that well, I will tell, also tell you why in Virginia he in, in Virginia there are two people who are very who are very loved. Wash, George Washington and Robert E. Lee. I, be, I now I go into part 2. His beliefs and talent. So Robert E. Lee when he joined the military, which was in the 1820s or 18 1830s around that time yeah 20s or 30s because he was in the mexican american war he he joined as a christian and he was always he always joined dedicated to family he wanted to marry one person and start a family and be responsible at a very young age when he was in the military he never fooled around i hear tales of american men of of military men going around, going to bars, going to drink, and just having fun with their buddies while during the off time. Robert Lee, Ro Lee never involved, in, involved himself in any of, this, any of this stuff. And he also demonstrated a, a talent for war and, strat and, and war strategy that was, that, that was shown at a very young age. So he got promoted very quickly. And he, when he was in the Mexican-American War, he was distinguished there. His, his, his talent showed. And it, came, it, it all came all the way until 1861 when the South decides to secede. And when that happens, Robert E. Lee was, he, he was chosen to lead the Army of the Potomac which was on the Eastern Front. Ulysses S. Grant was at the, was at the Western side of, this, of the South. He was fighting in Tennessee, and, and he was just in uh, Alabama and Mississippi. And Robert E. Lee was in Virginia. And the capital of the Confederacy was in Richmond. So it was Lee's, after, when, when Lee found, found out that 
he was going to lead the charge and slaughter men from his own state that he grew up in, which was Virginia. And he was going to, to crush the rebellion by ending the lives of thousands of men. He could not take it. It made me think about myself when I, if I decided, if the United States decided to declare war on Mexico, I have a soft spot for Mexico, this country. And let's say the United States decides to declare war on, on this country. I would probably refuse to take up arms if say, and if, if I was in the military, I would probably, I've, I've pondered this and who knows if I would do it, but I would probably decide I'm not going to fight for the United States. I'm going to fight for Mexico. But this is not about two different countries. In my scenario, it's two different countries. And in Robert E. Lee's scenario, it's between one country and something that is about, that is really fighting hard to become a country, which was the Confederacy. And you know, it never came to be. 1865, they lost. But they were winning. In 18, up All the way up until July 4th of 1863. The Confederacy was winning. Was They were toughening it out. But why? Why? And so Robert E. Lee decides to lead. Instead of leading the Army of the Potomac, he leads the Army of Northern Virginia. A massive army. They, this is In the Civil War, this is the age of, of large armies. This is the time when medieval warfare comes to an end. Ships that are made of wood are rendered obsolete because the South invents a, a proto-submarine type ship that can, is made of steel and can just destroy a, a wooden ship from below. If a wooden ship tried to launch cannonballs against this, against this proto-submarine type ship, they, the, the cannonballs would bounce off. But the weapons of this of this metal ship are now are are taking down any wooden ship easily. It's quite an incredible thing to imagine. Like that's it. That's the evolution of of technology progressing. But the North then came up with a better looking ship and fought those fought with the with the other with the other southern ship, and they won that battle. So that was. One of the few naval warfare uh, scenarios in the Civil War. Very interesting. Go read about that if you if you want to check it out. But back to Robert E. Lee. Why? Why? So now he decides to lead the army of of Northern Virginia. He argues that it was not about slavery, that it was about the rights of the states. But. This rights, the rights of the states were under the guise that they want slavery to be, to continue. And it's his personal feelings with Virginia. That's why he couldn't, he couldn't take up arms against his own home state. But Robert E. Lee also did not believe in slavery. He thought it was a vile evil that should be wiped away from the, from the planet eventually. But he took those those beliefs aside and fought for what he fought for. After 
after the President Lincoln finds out about about Robert E. Lee, he he decides to occupy the mansion that Lee once lived in in Virginia, and use it as a ba- as a military base. Now for the war talent. The reason why Lee had been so successful against all the generals that he's fought with until Ulysses S. Grant is because I'm gonna be frank, they were not they were not great. They sucked. I'm not saying Robert E. Lee was any good because everyone everyone involved in the Civil War was practicing a new type of warfare that has never been practiced before. It is warfare with accurate weapons. In the Revolutionary War, in all the wars that have passed, you, you've heard of the muskets. They were not accurate. They had the, the British... What used to happen was the British would stand their, their men. There would be a line of men, right? About 20, 10, 20 men standing up, standing with their weapons, and then laying on their knees and firing their weapons, hoping that they would hit someone. But the bullet would often land either on the ground, in the sky, or, or to the side, but never really shooting straight until the rifles were invented. These rifles were accurate. That's what everyone was working with now. The rifles of the Civil War were actually hitting their targets. And casualties doubled, tripled. And this was significant because everyone knows about the Civil War being one of the bloodiest wars in history. Over 600,000, now even close to 700,000 people died from the Civil War. When Robert E. Lee was was going up against forces, he went up against forces that were double the size of his army, of the Army of Northern Virginia. McClellan, General McClellan, Burnside, Cransbrook, not Burnside, well, Burnside, but all these generals, Joseph Hooker's and Meade, Joseph Hooker and Meade. So, all these generals that commanded the Army of Northern Virginia, they were all terrible. And Lee had an army of 60,000, and the Army of the Potomac was 120,000, had more weapons, could be supplied more easily and immediately. But the mistake was belonged to the generals because they were more, they were, they were all very cautious and hardly moved. They, they didn't act when they should have acted. And they were not aggressive enough. Lee, along with Stonewall Jackson and Longstreet, were always aggressive in their tactics and moved. And their men, his, their men were guided by spirit. And this was demonstrated in Second Manassas and the Battle of Chancellorsville. After, after all the, all these generals, and learning and all the, all the the war, and blood. Lee was, it seemed that he was winning in 18, all the way up until 1863, it seemed that Lee was winning. How, how could he be winning? Because he, and one of the other reasons why is because his men believed in him. They believed in, in the cause that they were fighting for. These Southern men were not well-dressed. I, I've seen the, the, the book detail that a lot of men didn't even have shoes 
They didn't have shoes. They didn't have sh shirt. They their shirts were very dirty, and they barely had anything to eat. They only ate these giant crackers, that that were the size of, of, a piece of paper, that you would write on, and they were very hard, and you would bite out of them, and they would almost break your teeth if you're not careful with them. That's all that the army could eat. It, a lot of people in the Army of Northern Virginia. But these men braved all these odds because they had respect for their general. That's one big difference between this, between Robert E. Lee and all the generals that, that had passed until, until Ulysses S. Grant. Is that Lee's men respected him, obeyed his orders, and actually acted when, when they and were ready to die for their cause. On the other side, on the Union, the men disrespected their general. They had no respect for their generals. They wanted to do their own thing. All Every single general had his own little idea of what to do. And Lee, and Lee had this problem, too. I'm not saying this didn't exist in the, in the Army of Northern Virginia. But what I'm saying is that he was he was able to balance the the egos of all the people around him he he knew exactly what to say to every single general that was around him and that's what caused him to be so successful in his in the battle of manassas battle of, in the or the battle of bull run because a lot of these battles also have an, have different names because it depends on who you talk to if you talk to someone in the south in this about the Civil War, there you're going to have to mention the first Battle of Bull Run as the Battle of Manassas, because the Battle of Bull Run is seen from the perspective of the Union, and the Battle of Manassas is from the perspective of the South. And Antietam, that's famously the the bloodiest day in American history. Twenty one thousand people died on the, on one single day in Antietam. That's called the Battle of Sharpsburg in the South. So keep those in mind when I'm mentioning these battles because they have a different name. They, but it depends on who you talk to. I have learned more about the South with Sharpsburg and Chancellorsville and the na their names because originally I learned the Battle of Antietam as Antietam. But now I know it as, as the Battle of Sharpsburg. But now... Aside from the success of Robert E. Lee, one big reason why, there are, there are two big reasons, I argue, why he lost the Battle of Gettysburg. This is the famous battle that everyone says is the turning point in the war. I actually don't think so. It is not really quite the turning point in the war because if it was, the war would have, should have ended in 1863. But it didn't end in 63, it ended in 1865. Lee kept it going for two more years. But what happened at Gettysburg in Pennsylvania was that Lee tried to intimidate the, the North by saying, look at all these battles that I've won. Look at all, look how this, despite the overwhelming numbers you throw at me and all the, and all the weapons that you have and the superior technology that you have, you can't defeat me. It's like Vietnam. But, so now I'm going to invade Pennsylvania and see what you do. So Lee goes into Pennsylvania, right? And he and and he goes into Gettysburg. And this battle lasts three days. It seemed that he was 
semi-winning, semi-draw, and he was not going to be so successful. And I'll tell you the two reasons. One is one reason belongs to Robert E. Lee, and the second reason is because he didn't have Stonewall Jackson with him. Now, Stonewall Jackson was responsible for for a lot of the success of Robert E. Lee. Those two worked together. They were they were. It's when I tell people that I want to usually if I want to work well with someone, sometimes I make the joke of I want to be the Stonewall Jackson to you, or vice versa. Usually people don't understand this joke, but what I mean is I want to be a great team teammate to you and have your back and you have my back. Lee reports that in Gettysburg, he said, if I had Stonewall Jackson with me, I would have won. I would have won a great victory. But Jackson died in the Battle of Chancellorsville. He was killed by his own by his own men ironically jackson was mistaken for a union soldier on his on his horse and his own men were shooting at him until he got until he was killed he was injured and they had to remove his arm to they had to amputate his arm and they even buried it there's a there's a graves marker for stonewall jackson buried for just for his arm and then he got buried because he died of of the wound and it was a great blow to the to the army of northern virginia because he was jackson was important he was aggressive robert e lee would tell would tell his generals hey i will go take that hill if you find it if you find that it, it will work for you and jackson would be like heck yeah i'm going to take that hill i'm going to go lead my men up there and and go take it this was happening in Gettysburg. Lee said the same thing to his generals. Go take that hill if you find it, if you can do it. And his generals, were, his other generals were more, were more cautious. And the sec, the things start getting strange in the sec, in the battle of Gettysburg on the second day, because the battle wages for three days, right? And he, and on the second day, there's a, the Longstreet, which is the second the the second highest ranking general in the army of northern virginia just below robert e lee and he tries to take this hill that's on the on the union left flank which is on the left side of the of the army of northern virginia he's battling a man called chamberlain general chamberlain of the union and he's trying to take this this hill that has rocks on it but he's not successful he he orders General Hood from Texas to go and take that hill, and they do not succeed. They def they seem to almost succeed, but they were defeated by men from Maine, from the state of Maine. But the real mistake that Lee makes is on the third day when he decides that he's gonna he's gonna instead of attacking the left flank and the right flank, it seems that he those those two those two sides are way too fortified. They're too strong. So he's going to go strike the beast in the middle, in the belly, which is the middle flank. And Chamberlain is is there once again because Chamberlain just fought the battle on the second day. And he doesn't... And his men are tired. And they're, his, 
It's ironic because a general tells him, hey, I'm going to go take your left flank that you were defending. You did a good job defending this, so you can go rest. Guess where you're going to rest? In the middle, where there's hardly going to be any fighting. It's a surprise to any everyone. And, and famously, this surprise is called Pickett's Charge. At Gettysburg, and at Gettysburg the, in the middle, these, these charges are made for, it's like a Napoleonic charge. You have a line of men going and marching towards a, up a hill, and they they're and once they reach a certain spot on the on the hill where they can see the men that they are attacking, they fire their weapons, and this this continues for about six lines or seven lines, or even more, something like that, and then the charge goes and it succeeds. Now this worked for Napoleon. When he, he tried it because the weapons that he was using were inaccurate. But this doesn't work for Lee because he's working with, with accurate weapons. So now it's, it's it, and Longstreet knows that this is going to be a disaster. And he tries to tell Lee, Lee, this, this charge is not going to work. We're going to lose over half our numbers. We're going to, we're going to get destroyed. And it's going to be a great blow to the Army of Northern Virginia. But Lee says, we're going to attack in the middle. And why, why, why is Lee so, so heated up about this? It's, not, it's kind of out of character of Lee to do something like this. Well, here's the situation that Lee was in. The reason why he was not able to, he couldn't just turn around and go tell, the, and go tell his army to go retreat was because he didn't want to break the morale of his army, but also because he didn't want to show the North that he failed. You don't want to show your enemies you fail. And it's, it's an understandable situation. But you also don't want to lose your whole army in a stupid manner. And that's what happened. And I'm not saying that Lee is, is dumb for this, because Ulysses S. Grant actually does the same thing in a later battle. You know, the Grant, the great one who, who wins the war and defeats Lee later on, he also attempts this Napoleonic charge, a similar, a similar thing, but it's called a Pickett's charge. But so now he's going up and he orders Pickett, Longstreet, and, and a couple other generals to go ahead and do this. Pickett is excited to do this. They, they're, everyone's enthuse, enthusiastic about it. And it starts with artillery. Southern artillery is firing against the Union. And, they're, and the Union is taken by surprise in the middle. And then the Union fires back. After about an hour or two hours of bombardment, finally the men make their move. The South make, starts making their move and goes to, to attack the Union. But they are taken by surprise. This is what happens. They, they, they're taken by surprise by more artillery from the Union. And they're blown apart there. And there's gaps in the lines. Even though the sergeants are telling them, close the gaps, close the gaps. We're still charging. And all these, and the, the, the art, but the artillery keeps firing and they are just slaughtered. Then then the men are, are, are down in the hills waiting, are, are waiting for them to, to appear. And then they just shoot them. They shoot and they drop like 
like flies, like like spraying a a whole crew of insects flying around with a can of raid, and they all just drop easily. That's how easily these the the men in the south were taken out. After all this, Lee and the the all the men that survived this battle, they had to retreat and come back, and they see Robert E. Lee standing there, or well, not standing on his horse watching this battle, and he's going closer to these men that were wounded and just tired, and they their faces light up because of their respect for Robert E. Lee, and they they tell, they they say, they look to him for, kind of like a, like a biblical figure it's almost biblical watching that's this is what longstreet describes it's almost biblical watching this man get surrounded by his soldiers after even after they took so much pain for this longstreet never forgave lee for this charge longstreet said that man is that that man i cannot forgive him for allowing this to happen at gettysburg and then finally pickett comes back General Pickett, and he's all dirty. There's dirt on his face. He probably has a shoe missing. His hair is unkempt. And then General Lee says, round up your division because you're going to go prepare for another charge. And what does Pickett say? General Lee, I have no division. It's a, it's in, it's incredible what, what has happened. And then Lee finally takes it and says... This was all my fault. He he just blames himself frequently. He says, it was all my fault. All my fault for for letting this happen. Surprisingly, the his soldiers tell him, no, they're they're arguing with him and saying it was not your fault. It was not your fault. And they actually try to blame Longstreet or Pickett or anyone else, but they would not blame the old man. They can they could never blame Robert E. Lee. And now the, the, but he, he orders a retreat because he just lost so many men on the third day. And it was fourth, it was the 4th of July, incredibly, that he loses this battle and he doesn't come back, doesn't return to Pennsylvania after that. But he still wages this war for two years. And it was not until not even General Meade was able to do it because General Meade was just like the other generals, very cautious and very uh, overprotective of his army that he could hardly move it. He was like, uh, I don't know if I should attack this, man. I don't know. I, It seems kind of scary. I, another thing that happened at Gettysburg is that Meade, the General Meade was trying to get his soldier, his army to get into the, to get, round up all his generals and put on a vote of should we retreat or should we not retreat? And everyone voted to not retreat, except for who? Guess who, who it was? General Meade. These were the generals that Robert E. Lee were fighting. It It, it was almost like, Man, it's no wonder that Lee was not that Lee was so successful because his enemies were incompetent. But it wasn't like General was the greatest either. He he had his flaws, 
his his army was underfed. They were they had all these disadvantages, but they still won. That was what was impressive about all of this. Eventually, now we I, we fast forward into the the degradation of the army of Northern Virginia. There's hardly any men left after all these battles that were fought, and Ulysses S. Grant comes and is just as aggressive as Robert E. Lee is and making a siege on him until Lee is defeated. Now I want to note this interaction between General Lee and Robert E. Lee because of Ulysses S. Grant and, and Lee because there's this is what is significant for people who live in the North and the South and even significant for the United States that exists today. When these two men met and Lee was surrendering at the Apotomox courthouse, he he had, you know, he was in his uniform. Lee was known to be a very clean and well-dressed man. Man, his 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 beard was always clean-shaven, his hair was completely white, and he had his sword on his side, marked and he was detailed with the stars and he's in his blue uniform. And Ulysses S. Grant has all has his clothes not really unkempt. Maybe his shirt is not tucked in. And his sword, he actually forgot it on his carriage outside. And Grant actually apologizes to Lee for forgetting his sword. What is customary between two generals, one that is defeated and one that wins, is that Lee is supposed to hand his sword over to Grant. But Grant never takes the sword. He just apologizes and they agree to surrender. And Robert E. Lee says, can you please let these men, uh, my men, keep their horses and their and some materials so they could go back to their wives and, and their families and just live as Americans again? And Grant agrees and says, yes, they may do that. We're not going to take away any any material or any property that is deemed important to, to those men. I'm not saying that Grant was not controversial. I, I did mention that Sheridan and Sherman were, they, they did raid the, in, raid cities in the South, like, like Atlanta and, and parts of South Carolina. The men would take and loot but that was during war. And sometimes war can get brutal like that. But when the but when Grant surrendered, no, when Lee surrendered, Grant said, All right, let's just go home. It's over. Grant did not parade his army through the South or anything like that to show show, haha, we we defeated you. No, nothing like that. He just said, All right. Let this war end quietly. The The South has some rebuilding to do. And I'm going to go talk to President Lincoln. Which was great on, Lee's, on Grant's part. Now Lee goes back home to Virginia. He is he's now immortalized in the South. And he's immortalized in the South, but also immortalized as, a, as an important general in Europe. Because... When there was a man called Fremantle. Here's another fact that you did not that that I didn't even know about. Was 
there was a soldier called Fremantle who was from England, and he decided to go fight for the Confederacy. He, he went ahead, or I don't think he fought, but he at least would live with those with the men that fought in the Confederacy, and just write details about them, write books, and tell about his experience with, with the, with the Confederate soldiers. And he said, "Man, this is this is uh, this is interesting." But he also said, "The man, the people, all the generals of Europe are gonna look to Robert E. Lee for, are gonna have to study Robert E. Lee because this warfare is new. This this warfare that was, it was first, it started out as Napoleonic medieval warfare in the Civil War, and then ended more like World War One type warfare, trench warfare." That's the transition. And now we but and but even in the in World War One, a lot of generals and and uh, yeah, a lot of generals were were still charging like it was not eighteen sixty one civil an eighteen sixty one civil war battle. You know, men getting slaughtered. Look at Gallipoli. That's uh that's a movie with uh, Mel Gibson in it. But it's just one example of how of people not learning from the not studying Robert E. Lee and what happened during the Civil War. And that's that's the late well, that's that's a big that's one legacy of of Robert. The other one is that he was he became president of Washington and Lee College in Virginia. That college was looted by by the Union, by a Union general and that's what happened. A, a lot of the Union soldiers and generals, they they would destroy colleges, they would destroy churches, they would destroy all these all this this stuff that was important to to communities in, in the South. And they would try to and they would take whatever food they, they want. It was not very it was very unprofessional in war. Because there's some rules to war and not and one of them is not terrorizing citizens, but that's what the union practiced. After that, so the Washington College, which was ironically founded for George Washington, was destroyed. That's a that's another thing. It's the 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 Revolutionary War didn't even happen a hundred years ago, and there it is, ninety years later, the Washington College getting destroyed, and there's a statue of George Washington right there. I just think, do you know who that is? Come on. And and so Lee became the president of this college and he and he rebuilds it due to his leadership and he and the connections that he's made until his death in eighteen seventy. But when you mentioned Robert E. Lee, when you know, it's one thing to if you mention to someone who's really into the South and was born in the, the South and very proud of his Southern heritage. It's one thing to insult Jesus Christ, right? If they are a Baptist or a Christian and very into it. But it's a whole other thing to insult Robert E. Lee. Try it. Or I might try it one day if I get to the chance. But I, not, I might not want to because I, I would rather just strike a conversation about Lee. Maybe I can learn from them and they'll learn from me. But that's the story of Lee.
This is a stubborn nation.